we are in the series called Made for More that we're launching this morning, and it's called Be Everything You Were Created to Be. That's the subtitle of the message. And we're really this morning going to dive in and ask some pretty pressing questions about why are we human beings on this earth, right? Why are you here? What's the point, right? Why do you exist as a human being living through this thing called life? What are you called to do with the breath that you've been given? Maybe what's your purpose, right? Where are you supposed to be? Because here's what I know. The world that we live in is it's a pretty big place. But these questions really are surrounded upon three words when it comes to how we were created and designed as human beings. And, and the words are going to be up on the screen for us. And these three words are going to be so important. Three words are this, design, purpose, and position. You know, inherently, these are three things that I believe have been stolen from our lives. As imperfect human beings living and breathing on this earth, we have to really confront these three words in many ways. And these three words come from a loss, right? A loss of identity and relationship for design. Each and every one of us, at some point in our life, we ask this question, who, who am I created to be? Who, who am I? And God, who, who am I created to be? Why was I designed the way that I am? Purpose, right? There's a loss of purpose and mission for our lives, which because of those circumstances as human beings, we often ask the question, what am I made to do? What am I supposed to do? What am I made to do? Once again, as, as a breathing human being, what am I uniquely made to do to have an impact in the world that we live in? And then lastly, there's a loss of place and position for us that causes us to many times ask the question, where, where, where do I fit in? What's, what's my position? Where am I supposed to be? Once again, the geography of our lives is a question that many times we ask. Everyone chooses and decides, hey, I live here. I want to live here. I desire to move here. Many times we're relocating as human beings. We're making the decision of where we're supposed to be. And as we kick off this, this, this series this morning, I've titled this morning in our Made for More series simply this, More Truth, the title of this morning's message. And I want us to look at a specific verse. The Apostle John is writing one of the authors of one of the Gospels, one of these eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. And according to his account, he writes on behalf of Jesus as Jesus speaks and encourages the people that he was ministering to in John 10.10. And it says this in this verse, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, it's really interesting. We talked about some of these things that are, were lost from us. The reason we ask these questions about our purpose, our design, about where we're supposed to be, our position, we ask these questions because these things have caused insecurity in life that have been stolen for us to have that confidence within it. And many times the thief, as referenced in this verse, we're referencing the enemy of our souls. We're referencing this personal deity and God lowercase g, right, that is after our life to destroy and steal it. But I think it's really helpful for us to understand in the context of this verse when Jesus is speaking, he's actually talking about a person, a human being that has been influenced by the enemy of our souls, Satan, who has gone 
to cause havoc in other people's lives. So the thief actually isn't in a direct reference to Satan or this personal God who wants to disrupt our lives, but it's actually in, in reference to a, a living, breathing human being, a false prophet, someone who's doing the work of the enemy and causing lies and deception to happen in our lives. This is interesting. A false prophet, what does that mean? That's a really churchy word that means somebody who testifies lies over your life. Somebody who speaks words over your life that pushes lies for you to become everything that God has called you to be. This could be anybody. How many of you guys know that sometimes the thief is actually church people included? The people that on behalf of God begin to speak things over our lives. I'll just say this, being a pastor for nearly 10 years, many times the people that have spoken lies over my life have happened to be people within the walls of this thing we call church. No, no, no one escapes from the reality that the thief wants to come and influence us to speak lies over one another and threaten the fact that God sees us, has created a massive image and vision for our lives. The enemy of our souls and those who are influenced out of the weakness as human beings lies, lies, lies that strong arm us from discovering the true us. I think about many times our inner voice. Sometimes our inner voice is the biggest critic in our lives. The inner voice, the voice many times the words that we hear that are spoken in our mind that many times discourage us from becoming everything that God's called us to be. A lie such as, what can you contribute? You don't have special talents, right? I really believe this. No one's harder on ourselves than ourselves. Where we discourage ourselves with our own inner voice that's being influenced by the lies of the enemy of our souls. Sometimes we believe the lie such as, you're too busy. Someday you'll have more time to pursue more, more joyful living. I call this one someday syndrome. The one where we have an excuse in front of everything that we actually want to accomplish in our lives with the phrase someday. And for many of us, we use that syndrome all the way to the day that we die and realizing we actually didn't accomplish anything mean meaningful with our lives. Maybe there's a lie that says you're stuck for now. Too many responsibilities and financial commitments wait for retirement. Many times in our American culture, retirement becomes a destination rather than a season. We live to retire versus viewing retirement as just a different season along the way that has been preceded by a life full of purpose. That's the vision I believe God has for our life. See, Jesus' truth is the contrary as we looked at as John writes and pens Jesus' words that say that actually Jesus' truth is that things aren't going to be stolen for our lives, but Jesus actually offers us what we would call an abundant life. But how many of you guys know that in order to take hold of an abundant life, it, it requires us to be a little offensive with our life? If we've lived our lives playing defense the whole time, I'm just going to say this. We're, we're probably never actually going to take hold of this thing called an abundant life that God has called each and every one of us to live. I truly believe this. If you're going to take hold of the abundant life that God has to offer us, we have to view this life through the lens of being actually a, a, a soldier in a war battling and fighting, but many times from the perspective of the church or many times from the perspective of followers of Jesus, we view ourselves as family members huddled up 
in the box of a church building that we reference as a bomb shelter. Well, I'm just hiding out in here. I'm a member of a family hiding from a world out there. But God has called us to be soldiers in a war that exists in our culture, in a war that exists, the Bible says, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. We get to be a part of a spiritual war. And the enemy of our souls would not want nothing more than to lie about who we are. What is our purpose? Why are we created on this earth? And the amazing thing is, and Jesus' vehicle for that abundant life to be accomplished is through a community that he calls the church. The vehicle that Jesus has created, let me remind you that, the church of Jesus, a creation of God himself, is the actual very vehicle for us to accomplish more in our lives. You know, our motto here at uh, PCC, we say this often, it's a phrase that, that, that it'll be up on the screen, but it's a phrase that we always say, it says, it's, it's this, it's be the church, not a building. You know, this is, this is a powerful phrase because it's a reminder of who we are. It's a reminder that we aren't called to hang out and hide from the world in the midst of a box. But we're reminded that out of the other days of the week, actually, God had a vision for us in the way that we spent all of the other hours that existed in our calendar. Rather than convincing ourselves that church is one location on a Sunday within four walls of a building. There's a powerful truth within this statement because it, it reminds us of our identity. It reminds us of the truth of what Jesus has called the church to be in the world that we live in. The church, you, are made and designed for more. I truly believe that. The church is designed for more. The church is a vehicle to remind you who you are, encourage you to be everything that God has called you to be. And I'll just say this, as a church, we are committed to that, for you to flourish as a human being. That's our commitment to you. Being a part of this, you're like, yeah, I don't know about this church thing, like the institutionalized church, I don't know. Like we are committed to you to flourish as a human being, to be everything that God has created you, to be in this life. I believe that you as a human being, you're called to be mobilized, you're called to be sent out into everything that God has created you to be in this life, in the rhythms of life, the bad and the good. And I don't know about you, if you've grown up in church or you've been around church for a long time, this, is, this phrase has come across my mind many times in our church cultures or in our uh, kind of our, 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 our vision for church is there's times where I'm just hanging out and I'm kind of just over-churched and I've asked the question, and the question is really simple and it's really short, and the question is this, is this it? Is this it? Because we can do church, we can go through the rhythms of church, and you could just still continue to live an unfulfilled life where you beg the question of saying, is this it? How many of you guys know that the church is the largest, most effective volunteer force on the planet? Whew. Man, let me think about this for a second. The way that the church has mobilized volunteers to serve, to serve the needs of others, can you imagine if we calculated all those hours up and we actually put a wage on that? Let's just say minimum wage, right? You know how much of a massive economy that would be represented by the church of Jesus worldwide? It would be so impressive. It would be like, wow, 
That's the type of mobilization that we have in terms of this massive economy represented on the planet that we live in. But we have to ask the question, does church and ministry solely equal volunteerism? Is this it? When we think about ministry in our lives, we just think about maybe the Sunday roles that we come and we serve in. We're always looking for people to serve. But is that it? Is ministry just volunteerism? Does church and ministry just equal fundraising? Is, is that it? I think about these past couple weeks, I think about the history trying to be preserved in Notre Dame and the devastation, right? And people are just up in arms about this, right? And man, how the many, much of the church mobilized, as well as other contributors, to just dedicate so much money to literally restore something that is so historic, so monumental. Man, people can be mobilized to raise tons and tons of money. It's impressive. But is it it? Is that it? Is our volunteerism it? Is the fact that we can raise money it? Does church and ministry equal our weekly services? You know, Sunday morning, such as now. Is it just about trying to become the coolest church in town? Is that it? Is that it? Because once again, that feels kind of shallow. It feels like there could be more. When we talk about this thing called the church of Jesus, I just truly believe it's built on more. Volunteerism, serving other people, oh man, does that represent God's heart? Giving up of your personal finances to serve, having a place for people to gather together where they can connect maybe with God for the first time, man, those things matter. But those are just one slice in the bigger pie of a vision for what God has for each and every one of us. And maybe for some of us in the room this morning, that idea of what ministry is has maybe swallowed out the rest of the vision that God has for your life. Is volunteerism, fundraising, and weekly services all God had in mind? I would say no, according to his perspective, because I believe we were made for more. You know, several years ago, Home Depot, they've come out with so many different phrases, it seems like. And if you don't know what Home Depot is, it's a, it's a hardware store. Ours is Lowe's, and the kind of the most competitive equal, equivalent to a hardware store such as Lowe's uh, nationally is this store called Home Depot. Um, and I had a Home Depot in my town growing up. But they came out with this really curious phrase that I thought was really interesting several years ago. And their phrase was this, and it'll be up on the screens. You can do it. We can help. Now, I'll just say this. When I moved to Ponca City from Los Angeles uh, over three years ago, or a little less than three years ago, um, we became homeowners for the first time because uh, in order to become homeowners in L.A., you've got to be a millionaire. I'm just going to throw that out there, right? So the dream of ever owning a home for Callie and I, it's like, well, let's just have the renter do it, right? So when we moved to Oklahoma and God called us here, it was like we started having the kind of the initial homeowner's woes. And I don't know about you, but like a phrase like this like becomes really intimidating for me. Uh, wait, I, I can do it? All you're going to do is just, just help me? Like, I, I'm responsible? I remember when I first moved here, I'm like, oh, okay, I got to mow my own lawn. I started asking people in our church, like, so, like, do you, do you recommend a specific lawnmower? Like, uh, do, you, do you think I should bag uh, the, the, the clippings, or do you think I should just mulch? You know what I mean? I'm asking all these idiotic questions. Like, people are probably like, who is this guy who's going to pastor this church, right? But it's new because we came from such an L.A. perspective. We're saying we just, we don't, we never owned a house before. We don't, you don't enter into that season. In the season of life, Callie and I were in at that time. 
So I see a phrase like this in reference to some of those, those jobs, and it just bears a responsibility on me that I'm like, that's really intimidating. But there's, there's something powerful about this, the posture that Home Depot took. It's like, we're not going to solve all your problems. We're going we're gonna to allow you to be the one who, who solves the problems you have. But they said, hey, th- this is what we're here for. Here's our mission. We can help you. We're going to help you. We're going to help you accomplish the dreams and the things and the desires that are placed in your heart in terms of what your home could possibly be or look like or express. See, it's interesting because the church of Jesus, we, we flipped that a little bit over time. And what do I mean by that? We've, we flipped that where we kind of bought into a phrase of, of we can do it, institutionalizing it, the staff, the pastors. You know, hey, we're, we're going to do it, but you, you can help us. We're going we're gonna to come up with all this ministry, and, and then you're going to help us. So, like, this is our vision, but, like, you, you could just help us with, with what we're doing. And it's interesting how that posture has, has changed over time. And it's interesting how we've institutionalized our participation within the church. What do I mean by that? Well, let me talk about my church. I'm a part of the church that has the largest youth group. Are you impressed by that? Look what we've done. I'm a part of a church that has the best worship in town. I'm a part of the church that has the coolest building. Now, these things aren't bad in of themselves, but where it becomes bad is where it robs the personal responsibility of the church to be the church. Because rather than actually bearing a responsibility in our own hands of saying, I'm a force to be reckoned with in the world. We, we give up the responsibility and the power in our own hands and we begin to institutionalize it. Well, I'm a, I'm a part of that. See, I'm a part of this thing and my participation is because I'm a, I'm a part of that. And what we're doing, we're giving away this personal power that God has given each and every one of us as breathing human beings uniquely. We've bought into a lie. It's so impressive. So I'm seeing some of the the stuff that's happening in the the church today and the way that we're witnessing. I don't know if you guys saw this like a year ago and just recently on Easter. There's been churches that have like paid off medical debts in terms of like citywide. Like that's how they were going to like literally serve the city they were in. We're going to pay off everybody's medical debt in our geography. Can you imagine? Once again, the fundraising, the heart, millions of dollars being reallocated to actually serve people. Not bad in and of itself. I think that's amazing. But it becomes difficult when that's it. When the participation becomes one of passivity versus one of personal power and responsibility that God has placed uniquely and created for each and every one of us to experience, created in his image in this life that we live in. These things aren't bad that could strong arm the individual power each and every one of us have in being and living out who God has created us to be. I'll just say this. We are not a church that's going to be banking on our big church efforts and how we approach our community. Why? Because I believe this. I believe the personal power in each and every one of our hands, the one that has personal relationship where we live, where we work, where we learn, where we play, that has more collective power than for us to brag 
and associate with our bigger wins. There is so much more power that God has placed individually for each and the vision that he has for each and every one of us to be those who are sent out and make a difference in the world that we live in. This is about you. This is about you this morning. You can do it. We can help. You can do it. We can help. God has placed a specific, unique vision for your life. Own it. You can do it. And we're here to help. You know, there's a philosopher and and writer by the name of Oz Guinness. Love this guy. And he said this. I think he summarized Christianity pretty well. When he, when, he, when, he, when he said this quote, it struck me the other day. I was listening to a podcast. I thought, oh, i got to go back to that because there was something so profound and simple about what he said. And he said this. He said, as followers of Jesus, we're passionate about everything human. I thought, that's it. Jesus is passionate about human flourishing. Jesus is passionate about human beings. When human beings are being threatened, when life is being threatened, when the flourishing of human beings being created on this earth is threatened, the church is supposed to rise up, advocate. Man, the way that we live our lives, I don't know about you, this creates a lens where I'm like, yeah, it's good to be reminded. God cares about you. He wants you to flourish. He does not have a vision for your life to be anything short than the vision that he has destined for you to live. He's created you and wants you to thrive. Not you and your association with a big thing called church. You as a representative, as an ambassador of love and grace and power that represents this thing called the church. That power that each and every one of us has in our hands. Human flourishing. What does that look like for you? What does human flourishing look like for you? With your life. This will be up on the screen. You have a specific corner of culture. No one will be able to serve like you can. Your life. There's people God has placed in your life. There's coworkers in your daily rhythms. There's literally other humans. We're in the business of humans that God has placed. He hasn't complicated it for you and your corner of culture to make an impact, to be a powerful witness. To be a person that pushes people in the direction towards God's grace and purposes and plans for their lives. He's placed you there for a reason. Well, I mean, I just, I like, I'm just, I'll do that outreach that's on the church calendar. But, I mean, in terms of my own life, no, no. You see, see, we, we, can, we can bank on the, on, the, on the outreach. The outreach is good. The outreach is something that represents God's heart. But even more powerful are the degrees of relationship where you get closer and closer to human beings you have in contact with where God's saying, you can make a difference. I have a vision for your life. You can do it. You have a specific corner of culture. No one will be able to serve like you can. No one. God has created you uniquely to serve that corner of our culture and our city, in our schools, in our families. No one can impact that place like you can. So what are you doing about it? And here's, here's what's so easy. To be really cynical. Can I say that being a person that's kind of 
gotten used to ministry and been in pastoral ministry for nearly 10 years. Like, there's, there's times where I'm like, cynicism hits. And it can so easily lead. It can so easily be the God that begins to influence the decisions that I make. When I see, and I'm, we're talking about a group of human beings coming together, bearing the name of God, trying to do a difference and make a difference in the world that we live in. But I'll say this, we have a decision. There's two words that will be up on the screen. And I've mentioned this before, but I think this is so powerful in the context of the conversation this morning. We can be people that complain, or we can be people that contribute. It's one or the other. You could be a person that sees all the problems, points them out, which I'll just say that. It's easy. It's easy to be cynical. Hang out on Facebook for five minutes. Everyone's doing it, right? We got to be intentional to change and contribute to a better vision for our lives. See, it's so easy for us to buy into division in our culture, to complain about what isn't. That's the easy part. Everyone, anybody can do that. As an imperfect human being, man, we are bent towards the complaining. We are bent towards saying, pointing out the problems, but actually never doing the hard work to bring freedom, to bring breakthrough, to bring the things that actually need to happen in our lives and in our communities, right? I love Jesus, but I got problems with the church. If you got problems with the institutionalized church, What's so interesting about you complaining about it and never actually contributing, all you're doing is upholding the very thing that bugs you about the institutionalized church, you're upholding it when you never do anything about it. The problems that you have is the same problem in your heart when you're like, I'm never going to actually step in and try to be a difference maker. I'm never actually going to have a vision to make it better, to change it. You, can I just be honest this morning? The reason why I stand here as a pastor in pastoral ministry is because there was a point in my life where I was hanging out at church and I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't feel like I felt like the superheroes and the celebrities were in these types of positions. And I thought, is this it? Is this it? And I didn't go on a pursuit to be like, well, maybe I can become that person. But here's what God kept doing. He kept opening doors and uncomfortable doors for me to walk through of just continuing to platform me, platform me, platform me. I'm like, God, what are you doing? But a passion got birthed in my heart during this season of saying, you know what, though? Rather than sitting back and complaining about the injustices that many times exist within the circle of church, I'm going to actually go and do something about it. I actually have power in my own two hands. And if I live my life, rather than delegate and say, well, that's good. There's been an injustice, that's good. Well, it just is what it is, and I can be mad the whole rest of my life, complain about it on Facebook, complain, create toxic environments in relationships that I have. No. I realized God placed power in my own hands. I said, okay, God, let's see what you can do. Come on, God. Let's see. Let's change. Where there's brokenness, where there's imperfections, where there's things that God wants to mend and to heal, you know what? I don't have a big old mega church titled pastor next to my name, but here's what I do have, a vision that you've placed in my heart to be a difference maker. That's an interesting power that many times we rob ourselves from. I'm saying, well, I'd rather just tell everybody what's wrong. But here's where I want to challenge us this morning. Do we have a vision to be actual contributors? 
we have a vision for our life, when we see a problem that we're passionate about, when we see certain things that will rile up our emotions of saying, I'm going to be a difference maker. I'm going to do something about it. Do we have people that when they get so riled up about politics, rather than riling ourselves up, they say, maybe I'm called to go and influence that sphere if I think it's so bad. No, we don't because we love to institutionalize it and give our power away. We are not called to be people that give that power away. We have been called as missionaries to influence every sphere and place in our society, in our city, in our community. What are you doing about it? Outside of the opportunities that maybe the church is creating for you to engage, what are you doing about it? How are you stewarding your life, knowing that one day you're going to face the creator of the universe, and he's going he's to hold you accountable about what you did with your life? Have you given that personal power away, and have you institutionalized it? Because here's what I know. You can't bring me or your church family when you face Jesus. You can't. God's going to say, I made you unique. There are certain things in your life that you're called to do. What did you do with it? How did you engage in that? See, this is, this is the type of church I, I believe Jesus is building in Ponca City, Oklahoma, through us. Our vision, family matters. Not a facade family. Not the Instagram family. Not the one that can put all the best pictures up. He's calling us to be an actual family. You know, the one that have disagreements, get into fights. You know, the family holiday blow up that you don't want to ever tell anybody about because you're kind of embarrassed. That's the type of family we're talking about. Because how many of you guys know conflict breeds intimacy? How many of you know actually owning the vision for your life isn't being like, well, I'm going to hop from church to church to church when I have problems. But it's actually dealing with the issues in your life and having a bigger vision of understanding that God wants to heal you through that. And he's going to allow the people you've surrounded yourselves to help that process. Family matters. See, that's why Jesus has created his church to be a vehicle to say, hey, we've got to figure this out. In fact, the way we love one another becomes one of the greatest witnesses to how people recognize whether we are his disciples. Powerful stuff. But have we strong-armed ourselves when we said, well, that power I have, that leadership, that responsibility God's given me, have we delegated it? Have we institutionalized it? Have we said, well, it's up to my church to disciple my kids, when really it's up to you as a parent? Have we said, well, it's up to my church to make sure that my marriage is staying healthy. Or are we actually understanding, actually, that's, that's our responsibility. Well, it's up to my... Delegating, delegating, delegating. But God has placed a specific power unlike anything else in the hands of each and every one of us. So where are we going in this series? This is, our, this is the, the first of several weeks of this series. And we're going to be looking at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Now, this was many, many years ago. This was during a time when the church had just begun to be this force to be reckoned with. This is a time, once again, as we talked to last week, the Bible wasn't even, the Christian Bible wasn't even formed yet. People are literally just following this resurrected guy because this event happened, and they're literally, their lives are on the line because of it. 
And this Apostle Paul, he's one of these leaders. He was modern-day ISIS. He was the Christian killer, and God literally, he's on his way to kill Christians. God knocks him off on his journey and, and, and gets a hold of his heart and says, you're going you're gonna to be a leader in, in the right direction now. You're not called to persecute Christians, but you're called to actually, on behalf of Christians, lead in people in the right direction. So Paul, he's, he, he begins to write many letters to churches. But this one, as he's writing to the church in Ephesus, this one's a unique one because he, he, he's chained up. He's been persecuted. The Roman Empire has got a hold of this guy. He's on what we would call an equivalent of house arrest. He knows chances are he's going to be killed because of his faith. So he's writing this letter, and he's encouraging the church during this time and saying, hey, with all these thoughts in mind of what the church can do, if the church wants to continue to have a legacy, what do I, what do I write? And he writes with this thrust of knowing this could be my very last day on earth. The church, in order to survive, has to be a powerful witness in society. Has to. In order for it to survive where there's persecution, it can't be, hey, collectively, let's all get together in one place and just be persecuted. It has to be represented with a personal power. What is the church? You and I and everyone represented. How are we going to be witnesses in this world where there's a Roman Empire that's persecuting us, that's trying to take us out? See, this includes us. We're made for more. But it requires more truth for us to digest, more truth for us to speak over our lives, more truth represented in the things that matter. So as we close this morning, I just want to speak and claim seven truths over our lives, seven truths that I believe will continue to come into fruition and light bulbs will come on for our lives as we speak these things over our lives in the next coming weeks. So we're going to walk through each and every one of these truths this morning. And I want to believe it for you, that you will make a commitment to this, these very truths and who God's created you to be. The first one is this. Truth number one, I will first believe that God has a calling and purpose for my life and trust deeply the author of my story. I will actively engage in finding the clues embedded in my story. God loves you. He's designed you got to receive that. we got to believe that. He's not coming with condemnation and judgment. But he came humbly, chose to express and solidify a new covenant because of his blood. A new agreement that represented God's heart and the grace and the love that we live under. He loves you and he created you just the way you're supposed to be got to receive that. We've got to believe that. Second one is this. I will step forward in faith, trusting deeply that God has written a unique script for me. I will step forward in faith even when I cannot see clearly. God will not leave you hanging. He won't. There's times in my life I thought, man, God, where are you? Only to go back and realize he, he was there the whole time. God works the night shift even when we're sleeping. But we got to believe that. We got to believe that. Number three is this I will see my primary legacy and significance through the lens of eternity and a restored relationship with God to discover my calling. I will abandon the earthbound kingdom of me to willingly serve in the eternal kingdom of God. 
Say this. He's not content with your status quo. Not. He wants you to grow. I think I get really bugged by people in church that are like, kind of like, I've arrived, kind of a perspective. No one's arrived. In fact, when you opt out of growth, what are you opting into? I believe God, we have to understand that God's constantly changing us, encouraging us to grow. Each and every one of us have areas of our lives to grow in. I know I do. Man, I know I have grown so much in these past three years. Mistakes, learned so many things. It's amazing. God continues to just lead us on a path of saying, I, wanna, I want you to flourish. But we gotta, we got to commit to that. Number four is this. I will put the lordship of Jesus at the center of my life. I will shift from pursuing fame in my own strength to allowing the fullness of Jesus to move in me and through me to others. I will submit daily to the lordship of Jesus. He wants to work through you. He chooses to work through you. That power you have in your own hands, don't give it away. Because he wants to work through you. He wants to use you. What a curious thing. Us? Me? Yeah. That's the vision God has for your life. Number five, I will redefine success in the context of the church's mission. I will embrace my personal calling as God's unique, equipping to play a, my part in this mission. I will also devote myself to living in common as a family member in a healthy local community of faith to carry the fullness of Jesus into every corner of society. See, his mission involves you. We can, have a, we can have a mission statement as a church, but our mission statement is a bunch of words jumbled up just to describe his mission, which is to make disciples. First and foremost, for us to be disciples, and then for us to be disciple makers. He wants you to be a part of it. He's called and commissioned us to be a part of it. But you've got to believe that. You've got to own that. Number six, I will take personal responsibility for the unique role Jesus gives me. The journey will lead me to discover and engage my unique calling never delegating my role to others. He desires you to lead your unique life. You can't give that power away. We can't give our personal power away to the institution. That's ours that God wants to use and to steward. And number seven, to embrace calling. I will continually strive to submit to the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit Trusting him to reveal the uniqueness, unique clues of my personal calling. I will shift from the reliance on my own power and strength to the reliance on the wisdom, power, and leading of the Holy Spirit. See, his power is made perfect in your weakness. When you acknowledge who you are as a human being, you don't have it all together. You and I were just as messed up as the state of our souls and the state of the, the, what we've lost because of the world we live in, and the state of our world. But man, that's where Jesus uses an opportunity for us to be powerful people because he gets to shine through in an absolute powerful way. Amen? Are you willing to take hold of these truths? Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to embrace more truth for your life? Because I believe each and every one of us, we are made for more. Are we willing to embrace those truths that God sees in the vision for our lives personally and individually? My prayer is that God would continue to reveal and remind you, you matter. 
and he wants to use you so powerfully as a person in our culture, in our day and age, 2019, where you find yourself to have an impact wherever you are. Can we pray this morning?